Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is show number 67, and this week's guest is Kurt Mottweiler. Kurt comes to talk to us about some of his uh, unique camera designs and his love for pinhole photography. Hey everybody, welcome back to uh, the podcast. This is show number 67. And we have Andrew uh, with us as always. Andrew, how are you? I'm okay. Yeah. Is your mind your mind racing around with the the Grand Prix racing through your head? It was a good start. The Hungarian Grand Prix from uh, uh, Budapest, and uh, uh, it looks a lovely city. So I might go there one day. All right. Lewis Lewis Hamilton managed to squeeze into the lead. No, he didn't. He managed to squeeze into second place. That was it. Uh, I love Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. And he's, you don't know who he is, do you? <laughs> who is Lewis Hamilton? <laughs> he's a five-time world champion. Ah. Yeah. I wonder if he has a caravan. He probably does, because they, they take them to the Grand Prix, don't they? They, oh, have, they like, live big, out of them, don't they? Yeah. Big, uh, those big things that you Americans drive around in. Yeah, cool. Yeah, good. Yeah. Have you had a good week? Yeah, I've had a good week. We uh in the middle, middle of, right in the middle of tearing out uh, half of our bathroom and almost done with it. Our tub, we had a tub that was uh, that cracked, you know. Mm-hmm. So we had to pull the pull everything out of it, and then we, you know, putting it all back. So other than that, yeah, it's been a good week. I got a little bit of photography done. I did some shooting with um, Graham from the um, Graham uh, from the homemade podcast. Sent me a uh, homemade camera podcast. Sent me some of those inserts uh, that go in the holgers, you know. Oh, I saw you had posted yeah. that, some weird circular things. Yeah, and I used one of those circular ones, and I shot some, yeah. did some stuff for that. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it was cool. But mm. other than that, yeah. This... I um, I exposed myself in a few hotel rooms. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. So I'm kind of obsessed with hotel ghosts at the moment. So yeah, it's all right. Everybody yeah, needs that's... something, right? And then I developed some film this afternoon from my backlog of film. Um, and I got in the dark room on Monday night, I think. Made a few prints from Holger, Holger portrait prints. Awesome. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, so. I saw those. Those were the ones that you did. When did you do those? At the last meetup? Or where... Yeah, no, that was, uh, I met up with Evil Chutney, Joe mm-hmm. Baker, who'll come on the show one day and uh, Hello, Joe. talk to us. Hello, Joe. Uh, so that was Joe and um, uh, Al Davenport. And Kath Cartman was there as well by the telephone box. That was in Norwich, different meetup. Right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I like Holger portraits. Awesome. So, yeah, I did too. Of those ones that you, uh, that you, I saw that you had done, those were really nice. I liked them. I was, I was surprised, actually. I was like, wow, Andrew. Why? <laughs> I'm very skillful with a Holger, you know. <laughs> as is everyone. That's I don't hear anything right? anything yeah. bad to say about a Holger. We're judging yeah. the Holger competition in uh, October, aren't we? Pinhole Holger yep. for the Holger Week. Um... More about more about that later, perhaps yeah. if we remember. Mm-hmm. Are you going to introduce our guest or yeah, keep, him, just wait, about to keep say, him waiting? No, no. So we um, we have this week uh, this week of the joining us this week is Kurt Mottweiler. Um, a lot of you in the pinhole world probably know Kurt. He's made a loads of cameras probably the most one you're familiar with is the the wood block block 66 is that it right is that right that's it that's That's the one yeah Mm -hmm. but you've also made all kinds of pinhole cameras with 
squeeze bulb shutters uh, and love those squeeze bulbs and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. Hey, Kurt, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Well, glad you're here. Well, thank you. Yeah. We are. I've been an admirer of your camera since I first saw one, Alex Yates. Alex Yates has one. I think he's got a curvy. Is it a P120? It, it is a P90. P90. Okay. Is a P90 one that you still make, or is that because uh, you've got P120 on your website, haven't you? I think I've got one of those right now. I just recently sold one. I think I've got one left. Uh-huh. I, yeah. saw, I saw it. I met up with him. Well, I meet up with him most years. And we, we met up, I think, Christmas. He had it Christmas two years ago, maybe. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah. And I thought, whoa, what is that? What is that? <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, if I owned one of those, I wouldn't dare take it out. It looks so lovely. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's funny because I, I, I occasionally will get that sort of comment. And, mm-hmm. and yet for me, one of the biggest thrills is, I'll occasionally maybe get a camera back from someone who who uh, needs an adjustment or a repair, and it shows up, and it's got bruises and scratches, and maybe it's got a piece of tape on it somewhere. And to me, that's just the biggest thrill to see that it's been out there being used. Just just clicking along. That's yeah. right. I can yeah. only think of two of them in all the years that I've been building cameras that I know for a fact are sitting on a shelf as display items. Right. And, uh, you know, that's never been my plan. So right, I sure. like I like seeing them used. So you've been making cameras for a while. And yes. I'm not going to try and date myself, and I'm not going to try and date you, Kurt. But on the webpage, there's a picture of you, a self-portrait of you from before I was born. So you've been doing <laughs> this for a while, <laughs> right? Yeah, been doing it for a while. Yeah, that, and it says that was your first pinhole. So... Uh, you've been around for a while, so why don't you let everybody know a little bit about, you know, your background with pinhole and <coughs> carpentry and just in general. Well, that just that just for reference, that photo was made just prior to having met Eric Renner, who a lot of your listeners will know. Sure. From from the Pinhole Journal. We've been trying and, to get uh, Eric on the show. Yeah. We're in communication with him, but he lives out in the middle – he lives in the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere, yeah. and the, the, so far the technology has failed us. But we really—that's we, interesting. Been, yeah, we've been emailing each other. I've been copy, keeping you copied in. I think Corey, you've seen those communications. Yeah, I've been reading them. And That's um, not entirely it, it's, surprising. It's proven a bit difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved, actually moved to to Portland from New Mexico, um, though a bit more civilized area. We lived in Santa Fe when last we were there, where he lives, definitely out in the sticks. Um, so I'm not entirely surprised by that, but yeah, I, I, it would be great to have Eric on. He's, yes. he's an amazing, amazing person. Yeah, that I'm, Eric? Sure, I'm sure we'll work it out eventually. Maybe yeah. we need to, maybe we need to record it somehow, Corey, not on the anchor app, but maybe through yeah. some other system. We we'll should try again. We'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. yeah anyway, no, sorry. Yeah, so, um, so, so anyway, um, uh, you know, this, this started many, many years ago, I, obviously, um, when um, I had been, my father had been an avid uh, amateur photographer, so I was taking pictures, oh gosh, from junior high school, you know, forward, and always carrying a camera around. Finally made it to college, um, the first try, and I think I was several, several ten years there, but the first try anyway, I was in art school for lack of a decision as to anything else I might do, and 
two or three years into it, I'm, I'm walking down the hall in a, a new building and I would stare through a door and I look in this, see all this amazing furniture. And uh, I walked in and, and saw some people just, you know, buried in their work and really enjoying it and then introduced myself to the instructor in the, in the program. And before long, I was, you know, in there banging away, uh, doing woodwork, something I'd never even considered before. And became friends with the uh, the professor. Actually, eventually, both of us ended up quitting the school, and I went to work for him. Um, but in the meantime, it, it occurred to me, I was, you know, carrying this camera around, um, and I thought, you know, well, gosh, it seems like a lot of those early cameras were made out of wood. This would be fun. Let's, let's see what this is all about. So uh, I made a few halting initial attempts down that path and then sort of set it aside. Um, like I said, eventually ended up working with Roger Billing French. And... Uh, Onto a variety of things, uh, basically uh, building furniture, occasionally attending bar, doing a variety of different things as we do when we're young, moving from job to job. Sure. And uh, and then kind of circle back around to that after I'd sort of reestablished myself in Austin down in Texas, uh, back uh, building furniture again, and uh, and started into it and um, sort of played with some ideas. Didn't get it. Once again, got caught up in, you know, various things. Ended up moving to Santa Fe um, and made a, a third, pro perhaps probably far, far further down the line than third, actually. But another attempt at, at investigating this and built the camera that, that I did put up on this page, the very first panoramic 120 in my studio in, uh, in Santa Fe. With the curved back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I forget the exact sequence of events, but about then I belonged to a group called the International Association of Panoramic Photographers. Wow. Um, because I was also <laughs> dealing with panoramic cameras. Was that full of gentlemen with handlebar moustaches? It sounds like it should have been. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, was an, it was an interesting group for sure. And the, the best thing about them is, is uh, they chose to have their international meetings in places that were very good for photography. There you go. And, uh, in fact, the first one I can remember was up at the Banff Springs Hotel in Banff, Alberta, mm. up in Canada, which is just yeah. a beautiful place. Um, anyway, I, I, I think I submitted uh, some pictures of this camera for the journal, or either that or it might have been uh, an early magazine article, Peterson's or one of their earlier uh, photographic publications. You know, I maybe submitted some photos for that. And a, a, a now a good friend of mine, Chris Faust, got in contact with me. With me and asked me if I was actually selling these things. And I said, well, I hadn't thought about it yet, but yeah, sure. And so I think I built a few of them and sent one to him. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of it. Right. He ended up doing some really great photographs with it. And uh, that got me more inspired to, you know, sort of keep it going. And uh, that's pretty much how it began. Yeah. Cool. So, folks, if you want to see what we're looking what Corey and I are looking at at the moment, it's on... It's on Kurt's sort of temporary landing page, I guess, really, as he reworks his website. But it's mottweilerstudio.com. And uh, the, right at the very top, Kurt, you've got this picture. So it's a black and white image of a, well, a wooden brass pinhole camera from 1991. So that this was, is this the actual camera you made, the very first yes. uh -huh. pinhole camera? Right. So even then, it was a sheer, a work of sheer beauty. Yeah. And, and I'm just looking at that. Uh, mechanism for the, what I presume is for the uh, is for the shutter is it did, I yeah. mean who did you make that as well or did you work yeah. with somebody to yeah so yeah, you're not I mean, just a woodworker you're a, you're a sort of uh, everything worker. metal metal worker yeah 
proper craftsman. <laughs> Whatever it takes, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting because everyone, I find it interesting everyone's approach to doing this and building these cameras because on one hand you have you know people who are just making them out of whatever and just poking a hole in something and and getting great images and then you know you have people like james who go in and they they work up their own kind of style of shutter and then you you've come in kurt and made made your own cameras and, and kind of made your own your own style of shutter and i like i really enjoy seeing how everybody is you know kind of like getting great pictures but the everybody's approach to figuring out the problems for it, you know, kind of, kind of vary, but you make regular cameras too, right? I mean, it looks like you make a five yeah. inch circuit camera. So that's a regular lensed camera, right? I mean, it's not even just a pinhole. Yeah. Actually I've got three, one, two, yeah, three lens camera projects underway at the moment. So it's, you know, it's pretty much a mixed bag. Right. And this stuff has always been, you know, if there's any way of thinking about it that might clarify that, the, the, the fact that I'm building a camera is, is really more that I'm an artist building a camera, not that I'm a photographer trying to figure out how to get a picture made. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. You know I mean? Like everybody's kind of, you know, how do you, how do you go about, I guess, just experience, but I mean, like, I'm sure that you have to do a lot of tinkering with some of these things and all that oh, yeah. work, <laughs> go back and try this, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm absolutely. sure that whole process has got to be, got to be pretty uh up and down kind of but do you have uh do you get kind of tunnel vision when you're doing making designs you know do you like get stuck on something and you can't do move on until you've like worked through it and you got it you got it working oh believe me i'm stubborn in more way than more ways than one and 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 that probably is one of them and um actually can cause me some trouble because i'll 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 get fixated on a particular aspect of a design and and not want to give it up even though i can see it's not going anywhere so yeah that's a that's a perennial problem and then you add to that just the technical challenges of getting it done it's yeah it can be frustrating i uh i'm i'm i admire you and james uh and and everyone who makes cameras and do that because i've tried to make a few and i just get to the point where i'm just like i can't i just throw it on the ground you know what i mean like i'm walking away from this you know (laughs) It's going to buy one because, you know, like the tinkering and like get, it just drives me crazy. You know? I'm, so, yeah. Oh yeah. It's no different here. Um, right. Yeah. And that, you know, back in, back when that one was being made, I'm trying to think there, there was a, a fellow named Finney who was making um, a very nice four by five pinhole camera with a turret on it. I don't really see much mention of those anymore, but that was a really nice camera. And actually Eric sold them in the pinhole journal. And um, I believe there was another guy whose name I should be able to remember who was making a camera kit back in mm-hmm. those days, sort of a monorail camera kit. And he had it set up to be able to use a pinhole. But beyond those two, I can't think of much going on. You know, it was kind of the, out in the weeds. Right. Well, to be honest, even if it was going on, it, you wouldn't hear about it quite so easily as you do now with exactly. social media. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, yeah, you've you've got to be. You would have had to have been really tuned into that little niche world, wouldn't you, to get, you know, the journals and uh, and be on, you know, handwritten quill pen mailing <laughs> lists or something. I don't know. Well, as a matter of fact, you know, um, uh, a, a good part of the the research I did to try to figure out how these things were all made. I was living in Austin uh, prior to moving to Santa Fe, and of course, that's where the big university, uh, University of Texas, is based there. And they have not only an amazing vintage camera collection in their archives, um, but just the regular library there 
has a collection that that kind of rattled me at the time because it's so impressive but among the things that did me the most good were i don't know how complete it is but a pretty substantial collection of either actual examples of or microfiche copies of the british journal of photography from yeah. the very early days wow. and that is a gold mine of information about i i have i have three or four copies from the 1930s through to the 50s on the on the shelf and they're just fabulous to look at, just for the pictures yeah. of, old, of old cameras, the old advertisements. I didn't know there were so many British companies making cameras and equipment and enlargers and goodness knows what. And then in the back, you've got all these photographic formula yep, yep. You know, <laughs> for, uh, for pretty much anything you want to make, any kind of developer. You know, tropical, yeah, at- for tropical processing of your plates in, you know, darkest Africa or something, you know. Exactly, yeah. All good stuff. Yeah, who look- was? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Who was? Who was? Uh, some of the British in- enlargers. Did they? They make Durst. Did they make? Were they a Durst? No, I don't think Durst was British. No, you caught me. I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, got you. Okay, but, never mind. There, but there were there were a number of them. All right. Um, cool. But I'd have to go back and do my yeah, research no now. I wasn't expect to start. Talk- I wasn't expecting oh. to start talking about the British Journal of Photography. <laughs> but there were <laughs> there were there were a lot of British companies out there making all sorts of film, you know, film based equipment right. or photography based equipment. I mean, that was one of my questions, really. I think you know, so 1991. So we're we're in the days of you know pre. Uh, I can't remember when the World Wide Web started going, but it was. Not probably not long after that. It's two thousand ish. Yeah, might have been in the. Was it anyway? Whenever it, whenever Tim Berners Lee got it all together, I don't know. But you know, how do you how do you hit on that design? Did you we you so you were moving in the pinhole world in that you joined this society of you know the, the, handlebar actually, handlebar yeah the handlebar pinholes. the handlebar people wouldn't have touched a pinhole camera they, they right. were they were using very large cameras with lenses circuit cameras and the like if you're familiar right. with those uh, yes um, well I'd have had taken when I had my school photograph taken when they exactly yeah. when it moved round on a motor and the very one mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact at the at yeah. the Bamp Springs uh, meeting I remember there might have been 140 of us all told it was a pretty a pretty good attended meeting. But in the group photograph we took, there were probably 200. So if you know that drill, you, you watch the camera <laughs> pass you by and then duck down behind the group and pop up in the next spot. <laughs> yeah, I think some people did that and then they got told off. Yeah, so uh, that was a different group. So but yeah, in, sure. in your in your head, you'd have had that sort of idea of the camera moving around in an arc, I guess, yeah, would yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. So, so the, the fact that it's panoramic would have been informed by that experience with the panoramic group. You know, I was certainly into panoramic photography, so that would be how the how the idea of it being a panoramic camera came about for sure. Right. How did you what what brought you to think about? Because I'm I'm I am intrigued by the bulb shutter. The you know like how what's the well you know there's two 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 or three things perhaps there um, you know as you'll know. Um, depending upon your particular aesthetic attitude about making pinhole photographs, regardless of what that may be, you're, you're, you're faced very often with longer exposures. Sure. And one of the issues that crops up, particularly with this first camera we're, you know, we're talking about is a, a camera movement in trying to operate the shutter. So it's going to have to be very stably mounted on a tripod or, you know, firmly held right. down on a surface that you're not making, you're not easily making a handheld shot with that camera. 
right. um, even if you had the light, you know, to make a, a short enough exposure. So um, with this, with the very first camera that you made, uh, I can see the advanced knob, and then beside it, there's a little tiny knob. I'm assuming that's the shutter. You just lifted it up. Yeah, right? you just lift yeah. it up and push it back down. Yeah, and it works fine. Um, but uh, you know, aside from using the, the the common technique of putting your finger in front of that hole as you open the shutter, and then using your finger as the actual shutter, yeah, um, there's no way of doing a, a a handheld shot, for example, with that camera. Which is which is you know another thing altogether. A lot of people are not fans of of that look. I I happen to to think it's kind of interesting working handheld with a pinhole camera. Yeah, Nonetheless, too. if you if you want to get um, uh, you know, a normal shot that, that doesn't have that movement embodied in it. Um, it you, you go back and look at, again, the British Journal of Photography <laughs> will <laughs> provide you with plenty of examples of old shutters that were actuated in that way, you know, with an air bulb. Huh. And uh, it, so it wasn't a big leap to go to the notion of, oh, well, uh, if I put a bulb on here, I can actually open and close the shutter without impacting the camera itself right? and moving it. That's I'll, cool. um, I'll send you a copy, Corey. I've made a okay. note to I'll... Um, no expense spared because of the postal rates. I will send you <laughs> one of my one of my copies of the BJP from the nineteen thirties or forties or something. Sure, that'd be awesome. So I see you, you're fitting. Even Corey's talking about the bulb release, um, Kurt. But I was looking on your Instagram page. It's the other good place to look at what you're up to. So if folks want to follow Kurt on his Instagram Instagram page we'll give those details out at the end but you've got a, a four five well i guess it's a four five camera i don't know with a brass circular shutter in the middle with your bulb release going right into the middle of it so yeah that's uh, actually um is it four five i don't know it is four five looks yes. like it um yeah. it um that shutter actually came straight off of um one of the early panoramic 120 cameras ah. And I had some of them left over, and so in that case, I had actually made a. <clears throat> that's not the first instance of that particular camera. Somewhere further back, <clears throat> excuse me. Further back in the feed, you'll find the original example of that, which actually has seven pinholes arrayed in a in a vertical linear fashion, that was made at the request actually of a friend of mine here in Portland, who's a uh, architectural photographer, hmm. and he wanted to do sort of an architectural pinhole camera. Right. So that you could choose which one of those pinholes and basically have, you know, a right. range of shifting options on it. Right. As it turned out, most of the photographs I saw him make with it used all seven of the pinholes, huh. uh, which uh, seemed to intrigue him more than actually just the choice of individuals. So back to this one here, um, that's basically a, a circular shutter. Um, when you actuate it with the bulb, it rotates a, uh, a sector inside of the body of that shutter. Huh. And then uh, that's what opens and closes it. It looks like some kind of crazy gas mask with the no with like the hose <laughs> coming out of the front of it. Yeah, yeah, steampunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh So what was the e what was the evolution, Kurt, after your nineteen ninety one? So you got some requests to make that more copies of that very first camera did you or did you then start yeah yeah and, and a little further down in that in that post there you'll see a kind of a crazy one it's it's unusual in, in a, a number of ways but it's uh it's a sort of purple and blue uh, mm -hmm. italian veneer with some black hardware yep that's that's what was next that's sort of the production version of that camera they were typically made in cherry with brass hardware 
this particular one went to a Japanese fella. Um, I don't remember. I think I just made it. I had uh, some of this veneer for some furniture projects I'd done. And then uh, he already had one and wanted another one once he saw this one. And so I sent it off to him. Because I guess anyway, that. Sorry, carry on. Th that's what it, that's what the, the sort of production version looked like for quite mm. some time, even though that circular shutter we were just talking about, I think, was either just before or just after this one that's on this particular camera. So sort of a range of, of pneumatic shutters that I was experimenting with. The, actually, the trick, the funny thing about that rotary shutter is that it's kind of hard to make it so that it will stay in either an open or a closed position for, say, transport. So when it's on the roll film camera, that presents kind of a problem because you never know when you might accidentally opened it. Yeah. Whereas on that four by five camera, it actually works quite well because you know that, I mean, obviously with the dark slide, that you sure. check, make sure it's ready to go. So that probably did precede this example that's that's shown on the on the post on the homepage, with, which was a, a, with a pretty bulb, effective shutter. With the bulb, yeah. did you have a you could squeeze it and lock it closed like a suction on it, or was it kind of just like if you had a long exposure, you just had to hold it until and then just? I don't. You can't really tell in that picture, but if you look at the end of that bulb, there's a hole in it. Yeah, a little silver, yeah. Um, and uh, the way it works is that if you if you just pick up the bulb and squeeze it, nothing happens because oh. the air can come out of that hole in oh, the end I of the see. bulb. But if you cover the hole, then the, then the mechanism will work. Huh. So if you have a long exposure, you can cover the bulb and I mean, excuse me, cover the hole and squeeze the bulb, which will open the shutter. And then if you can manage to coordinate the action, which took me a little while to figure out, mm -hmm. um, you can then release that hole on the backside of the bulb before you release the bulb. That'll leave the shutter open. Oh. Then, then you can walk away, do whatever you need to do to have your coffee or eat mm -hmm. breakfast or however long the exposure is going to be. You come back and squeeze the bulb, cover the hole, and then the shutter will close. Gotcha. That's cool. Wow. Amazing. So, I, so I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. I mean, you, you, you're, you're now making these... I mean, let's face it, high-end, beautifully made, not cheap pinhole cameras. Um, and that's got to reflect the price you sell these things for. It's got to reflect the quality and the time and the workmanship and the uh, the sheer amount of hours you put in. But from that first camera to that second production model, there's there's not a bit of, well, it doesn't look like there's any brass inside. It looks like a, um, you know, there's less sort of man hours and time gone into that crazy purpley colored one. So were you, were you going through a sort of were you were you trying to identify which path you wanted to go down at that point? Were you trying to say, okay, let's try and sell these things, you know, at a, uh, you know, at a reasonable price, and so I need to spend less time on it, or you know, did you say actually the craftsman inside me wants to make these beautiful walnut curved cameras with the brass knobs on? What, what was the sort of thought, the commercial thought process you were going through in those early days? Um. Well, it, it's it's never been very well organized around the kinds of premise that you described there. Um, it, there's always been a battle between what I want to make and and uh, you know what what might be uh, more more practical in that sense. Yeah. And uh, I, I would confess that more often than not, the uh, the the desires to build a camera that that looks like say the kind of things you saw built you know in the in the old catalogs. Uh, sort of overran the notion of, of doing anything else. And I never built most of these in sufficient numbers that they would become uh, a full-on sort of production item. This panoramic 120 is the one I've made the most of over the years. <clears throat> 
but unlike um, some of the people you see making pinhole cameras now, I've, uh, none of these have ever actually been geared up to produce in any significant quantity. Sure. Um, and, and part of that probably is reflected in the other work that I was doing. I did a lot of custom furniture, um, rarely in any kind of additions. And uh, at the time, also, I was beginning a process of, uh, I can't remember what the timeline is, but at one point I shared a studio with a friend of mine, Bill Collings, who's a world-renowned guitar builder who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but eventually I ended up working with him as his first employee building acoustic guitars. Wow. Um, they were, um, in spite of the fact we built them eventually in small batches, they were nonetheless all sort of one-off items um, as the way a lot of guitar builders work. Um, so the, the world that I came from and continued to circulate in was one in which things were built more in a sort of one-off or limited edition fashion. Sure. Um, so that, you know, that habit perhaps for lack of a better way of putting it sort of found its way into the way the cameras were done as well. Um, They're beautiful. So yeah, it, it, it's always been an issue that <clears throat> people would see these things and then wish they could afford them. And, you know, well, can't you make something cheaper? Well, yeah, I probably could, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but I don't for whatever reason. Um, um, you know, the, uh, occasionally I'll make a stab down that path, um, but um, it's it, it, it's just it's always kind of a struggle. So I mean, there, and right now, especially there's there's plenty of people out there producing, for example, with in the pinhole world doing production camera yeah stuff. there's yeah, pl sure. there's plenty of people in that market for affordable good quality you know mass produced pinhole cameras you're, what you're doing is something completely different i think Kurt, the p the p90s and p20s are, are they all are they all panoramic is it yeah or, yeah in fact that that as you can see this this first one called the panoramic you know just playing on the on the notion of the mm. combination there the P came for whatever reason. I decided to change it to P, and so, ah, so in, the P in all cases, is... it, it it basically stands for panoramic. And then right. ninety refers to the fact that it's a ninety-degree field of view, and also coincidentally, a six by nine format. Ah, and gotcha. and the one hundred and twenty is a one hundred and twenty-degree field of view and a six by twelve format. Oh, so that would be that like, would be the one I wanted. Yeah, the six by yeah. twelve is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe and I actually, should maybe I should stay at work for another year. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful and one something something i've long wanted to do I, i'm not sure how much longer I'll, I'll be actually trying to build pinhole cameras but i've got at least one more in me that i'm I'm hoping to build and i just did a post last night that that, that sort of reflects my path on that i'm kind of giving away the, the the quiz here that i posted with it but um it's the beginnings of a, a design for the six by 17 version wow of the pinhole cameras cool yeah. So I suppose so, the closest thing you've come to for a what I would call a, a production, you know, a more of a mass produced one or one that's probably probably to my eyes is is going to be quicker to turn out than your curvy ones is the wood black, I guess. Is that is that the closest thing you would have come to to, you know, entering that you know that that sort of yeah semi mass yeah, produced market exactly yeah and i and i have to confess i i i was struggling with that um there's there's uh a number of things that probably informed that design one of them was i 
I get stuck on on an idea. I think I alluded to that earlier and, and mm. can't divorce myself from it. It'll just be, you know, the, here's how I'm going to do this. If, for example, you look below the wood block on the, on the homepage design, you'll see one called a PPC, which is short for panoramic, uh, a, the panoramic pinhole camera series two. It was yep. sort of the, the next generation. That particular camera was, and here we go with the, the British references again. That camera was informed by my fascination with a World War II fighter bomber plane called a Mosquito, mm-hmm. which was developed in England and was a, was a really good early example of the process of using plywood to build a, a functional object with. Kurt, they flew out of the airfield, uh, World War II airfield, where I live, Warboys Airfield. Oh, they cool. Were that's, part that's of the, uh, they were part, part of the Pathfinder squadron, Excellent. Which, uh, well, which they flew over to Germany dropping flares. Um, so, so the uh, British bombers knew where to bomb the heck out of the Germans. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's a nice reference point. Um, so anyway, with this particular camera, um, I decided that I wanted to build it virtually entirely out of plywood, like the way the Mosquito Bomber was built. <laughs> and uh, in those days, I was pre-selling these cameras. So I would, um, you know, sort of propose a prototype and then mm. people would sign on and, and provide a deposit for them. And uh, so I pre-sold that camera. I forget how many I sold um, and then quickly discovered that my challenge was far more substantial than I had imagined it would be. So I sold those at probably a third of the eventual cost. Um, But nonetheless, I I really enjoyed the process. Uh, Pretty interesting camera. I don't think I have pictures of the very first one readily available. Actually, it is probably somewhere back in the Instagram feed. It's the very first one of those had some gullwing doors on it. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a little, just a little ways back. There's a there's a little video of that. I saw that. Version. Is it the one where you you're putting a roll of ectar in, and then what you press a press a little brass button, and the door opens up, a little curved door, and you pop uh, film it. Yeah, it? yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. There's some great so anyway, videos. Was... I was looking at those videos earlier. I was fascinated. That was the first one, and and I took that camera with me on a trip we made shortly thereafter to Italy. And I think probably got some photographs. In fact, I think there's one there on the, uh, yeah, there's a photo of Cinque Terre, which was made with that camera. It's, yeah. it's in the, in the face, in the, the homepage feed. Um, and, and, you know, I had that camera sitting on a tripod, uh, making these photographs and then I would get, get ready to change the film and, you know, get ready to, to run onto the next roll. And I'd have those doors open like that. And I think to myself, you know, this looks like a, a, a an accident waiting to happen here. Um, if you if you bang on one of these doors, this, this the damage that you're going to do is going to be catastrophic. It won't be repairable. And so I came back from that experience and ended up creating the with with that amount of work, as you can imagine, to make that prototype. I I wanted to recoup, you know, what I had done up to that point. So I struggled with figuring out, well, how can I change that back design so that I can still use the rest of the work that went into creating this overall design? And uh, so I ended up making a pull-off back. It's just a one piece that comes right off the back of that camera. And that's that's what the eventual version of it used. Um, but all that to illustrate that I, I got fixed on an idea of mm. you know a particular thing I wanted to do. And that in that case, it was making it entirely out of plywood. So when I got around to the wood block, I did, in fact, have making a less expensive camera in mind. But I also, um, in uh, a recent experience, was involved with a friend of mine here in town who's got a crowdfunding supply who uh, did a 
computer project with a well-known American computer hacker who lives in Singapore, who, uh, as a friend of Edward Weston's, was very involved in the in the computer community around the notion of security and and, and people. Uh, in fact, they had found a, a listening device embedded in a flashcard, did a keynote address at an international conference associated with that mm-hmm. um, as the beginnings of going down the path of him building an open source computer that had absolutely no proprietary hardware in it. So there was no way that could happen. Um, so when that project came to light, it was being uh, crowdfunded by a friend of mine here in town. And they asked me to do a high-end version of an enclosure for it. So I ended up building this uh, pretty elaborate wooden um, um, computer enclosure for a laptop. I'm looking at that, that right now. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. It's on your Instagram feed somewhere, wasn't it? I saw it earlier. Yeah, yeah. And in the process of doing that, I ended up acquiring a, a CNC milling machine. Nice. And um, so when this uh, woodblock thing came around, um, I had gotten fixated on the notion of how can I build a camera entirely on the CNC machine? Sure. And uh, the first thing that happened was the development of that shutter, which is the rare occasion on which I had an idea pop into my head that virtually expressed itself as, as the original idea without a struggle going through trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, it just sort of came into my head and, and that that's what I made. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, that's a pretty rare occasion. Usually, it's a real struggle to get to something that that's, works. And that's with just the wood block has just a little simple brass. Yeah, it's down, just a right? slider. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, there is a there is a bit of uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? It, it it looks simpler than it actually is. Sure. I guess is the way I'll put it. Um, if if you had any experience trying to combine metal with wood, you'll know that metal moves a little bit, but not as much as wood does. Mm. And so you try to do something like this and you can quickly get, uh, get a situation where you take it to a moist environment and you'll, you'll lock it right up. The wood will expand in the middle. I was going to say, I'm sure there. with the, uh, going with the wood in the metal, you're going to have to have some pretty tight tolerances, but enough so that everything can kind of live together. Right. Yeah, exactly. So if I had tried to make that with, with, sliding simple sliding tolerances so that it slides up and down i would have certainly faced that issue and uh, it would have been almost impossible to make it so that it would stay up in the in the raised exposure position so um right. the, essentially the way it works is it's got fairly loose tolerances so prior to the installation of the additional bits that go into that uh, you can slide it up and down quite easily and it won't stay up um, so then picture the, the back of that brass piece has a small round magnet embedded in it. And then in the channel, there's probably some pictures of this somewhere, but I'll track them down behind it on the, on the actual body of the camera. There's a small strip of steel that runs flush to the channel that it's in. And then at the very top of that, another small magnet, that magnet is in opposed polarity with the one that's on the brass part. So if you've ever tried to put two magnets together where they're in the wrong direction, they want to push away from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's essentially happening at, at the at the top um, range of motion of that pull-up is you've got two magnets opposing each other, so it mm. tends to stop it at that point. You can pull past it if you want and pull that shutter right out of the camera, but at least it gives you some feedback that says this is where it stops. And in the meantime, the, the magnet that's in the back of the brass, I hope this is making sense, is attracting to the metal strip that's in the camera body. 
So it's taking it from its loose tolerance to pulling it against yes. the body yeah. and yeah, providing sure. sufficient friction for it to stay yeah, either open really or closed. Clever. Yeah, awesome. So that's what's going on with the shutter that makes that work. Then essentially the, the, the camera is built by slicing a block of wood, hence the name, mm-hmm. um, to create a front and a back. And then the front part goes on to the CNC machine to carve out all the elements that make the inside of a camera. Yeah. And including a light trap. And then the back goes on to carve out a window for the red window and wow. the remainder of the light trap. And then four magnets holding the two of those together enables you to pull the back off and put it back on so easily. So one way or the other, you're still having to put a lot of time in because you have to sit at the computer and <laughs> and, and work on well, all the commands. Yeah, the CNC yeah. Machine, I mean, the, right? the, yeah, yeah. The premise, of course, is that you would be able to amortize that time against, you know, a volume of production. Sure. But no question the the uh, <laughs> I you know another thing that comes up in the in this craft world of of making things is is this this notion you'll occasionally see somebody do a post and and I understand this there's there's a fascination that I've had most of my life with doing things in a traditional way and of course now that we've got these phones in our pocket that are more powerful than the computers that got us to the moon um you 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 can't help but wonder well how were things done in the past you know so sure. there's all this movement towards traditional craft and doing things by hand and what have you i really and so there's a there's sort of a natural inclination to think that cnc is something where you push a button and it does all the work and you just sit back and watch it go no you got a lot to do with it <laughs> and once you get to that point that's sort of true but even then it's not true yeah um it takes a lot of work to get to that point where this the machine is actually running but, but you know, the thing about doing something by hand is that you, you get some feedback in what you're doing. You right. know, if something's going wrong, your hand is, is telling you this is not working. And you can adjust on the fly and say, OK, I, I guess I better, you know, change the way I'm moving this chisel or change the way I'm pushing this through the saw or change the way I'm drilling this hole. On a CNC machine, you have told it to do something very specifically and unalterably. And you push the button to tell it to go. If you told it to do the wrong thing, it's going to do it yeah. faithfully. Wide open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I live <laughs> and in... I, I've, I've got a big pile of very expensive broken end mills and what have you, you know, the right. result from the learning curve associated with that. I lived, uh, I lived in Anchorage for a while and I worked in a cabinet shop. And uh, they had a CNC machine in there. And the guy that was the manager, you know, of the shop, uh, that's all he did. You know, like you came in and, and he would sit at the computer and he just had, you know, CAD up or whatever. And it's just angles and circles. And, you know, he just sat there all day long typing away and just, you know, making, doing all kinds of stuff. So I'm sure it's got to be daunting. I don't yeah, know. it's, it, it, yeah, it, 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 it's basically just a whole separate branch of craft associated with getting things made. It's yeah. got all the, all the learning curves and all the frustrations and all the rest of it associated with it. It's just a different path. And I can go into a long diatribe about what, what is actually handmade yeah. and, and have in the past. I won't do it here because it gets pretty elaborate. But We made, uh, we made ski, ski wax scrapers. <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> we, we, would make, we, would make, we would make cabinet components. And like for, you know, for large and, uh, hospital installations of cabinets, you know, for all the floors and all the rooms and everything. And in between that, to keep to keep the CNC machine going and making money. And they're like, we get all these random jobs. We make skis, ski wax scrapers and spoons and like, you know, like all kinds of crazy stuff. So it was fun. That sounds like it was fun. And up in Anchorage, huh? Yeah, that was rather than Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Kurt, um, just to drag you away from 
Corey's ramblings about ski scrapers. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at one of your posts on Instagram with your wood black, and it's uh, I think it was when you had when you were uh, says the last days in Oak Oak oh, oh I can't even pronounce it O A X A C A. Oaxaca. Oaxaca. Yeah. Really? Is that how you pronounce that? Come on, Oaxaca. Andrew, get with it. Jeez. Goodness me, it hasn't got a W in it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Neither does anyway, Oaxaca. So you get, that's a really good picture because you can see the inside of the wood black and. And I was just, while you were talking, I was just pulling the top off my Todd Schlemmer uh, 3D printed camera and I was looking in my James Guerin one and my Zero. And of course, the noticeable difference is you've got the, um, uh, you've got the, the stepped cone, haven't you, in the, in, from, the, from the pinhole out to the exposure plane. Yeah. You've got the stepped cone. And it looks, the only other camera I've got that looks a bit like that is Mike Walker's Titan. Uh, four, yeah, exactly. Four, four five. So yeah. is that presumably... Um, I mean that 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 that's a specific design, uh, uh, specifically designed. Presumably, that helps with the light distribution, does it? That as opposed to just having. Or was it just because the CNC was too hard to cut a curve inside? There was uh, just to do the steps. Well, I don't know. Does it help? <laughs> does it? Help? You're alluding to all kinds of possibilities here. Yeah, I don't. I don't know because because most of these six by six cameras I have. Uh, you know, just a pinhole. Well, I say just. I mean, I, you know, a pinhole, and then the the you know the light is projecting back onto the film plane. There's no fancy sort of um, step in there. But that's but but this is made from a solid block of wood. So I suppose you've got to come up with some way of of getting from the pinhole to the yeah. film plane. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. There's probably several things in operation there. Um, one of them is is precisely what you're saying that that you're you're carving out a block of wood. So. The, the mm-hmm. natural inclination with the way a lot of the cameras are built since you're working with flat materials and constructing it is, is to just make a, a box. rectilinear enclosure. Yeah. You know? um, and that makes sense because that's the material you're working with. That's the easiest mm-hmm. thing to do with it. Yeah. In this case, you're, you're starting from scratch, essentially. And I'm looking at it thinking, okay, I've got to make an opening here. And, you know, diving back into the... The, uh, the the world of the way cameras are built, there are many instances, particularly with viewfinders, but in other areas as well, where you'll see this sort of stepped design sure. that's being done. And and so, you know, that popped into my mind almost immediately. And and there's, you know, probably several things going on. You don't have to carve as much wood away as you would if you wanted to just make a big cavernous mm-hmm. rectilinear enclosure there. Um, and then, uh, as was also alluded to, that you know you could carve that out, and make it a smooth interior, and that would require a lot of time on the CNC mill because yeah. you've got to do a lot of little steps to go down there with a you know a round cutter to smaller smooth it all out. Smaller bits. Yeah, yeah, and I certainly I could do that, but the, you know the part of me that said I want to make this out of a CNC a milling machine operation was well, no, why would you do that? That's that's the that's the carve it out with the chisel and go after it with sandpaper approach mm-hmm. to make a perfectly carved object. This machine operates in a way that that makes it really easy to make a stepped mm-hmm. uh, uh, recess like that. Yeah. And I like the fact that that expresses the way that it's made because um, you normally wouldn't try to make that kind of a shape in a manual machining operation. Mm-hmm. You could, but it would be kind of crazy to go down that path. Yeah. Whereas a CN machine, CNC machine does that pretty easily. Yeah. And and then I like the looks of it um, as yeah, well. Yeah, it looks you know, great. It does look great, you have to say. Yeah, the aesthetic thing always crops back in. <laughs> and, and, and if you've got an image to see, I don't know if I've got one. I actually left some of that sort of stepping look on the inside of the film recesses as well. Mm-hmm. For the same about, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, partly because that's the way the machine does it, but also just because to smooth it all out kind of defeats the, yeah, that, that expression of how it's made. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's basically it. Um, well, we, uh, Kurt, we've, we've hit on, on the, your process of doing your cameras and, and a little bit of theory about that. What do you, uh, and actually just taking pictures, do you, what film do you like to use? You know, what, what's your favorite kind of subject for doing pinhole? Are you just, you know, let's talk about kind of that a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm probably about as unorganized about the way I approach taking pictures and choosing film and making photographs as I may be organized in trying to figure out how to build the cameras. Good, so are we. <laughs> completely haphazard, you know. What film do you have today? You yeah. know, I'll say at the counter when I go, what, what, what's, on, what's on hand? Of course, right. 120 film is pretty abundant these days, but, you know, there are times when, like, when Acros disappeared. I guess it's coming back now. Um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I like that film. Uh, you know, I like Tri-X, having used it very early on when I first started photography. Um but you know anything? I'll try anything. It doesn't really matter to me. Uh, right. And, there, there, and was a, there was a rumor going around that all that Fuji had been frozen, hadn't there, um, Corey? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no telling. Yeah. Um, no. The the, I, the the newest secret is that it's, it was all hidden in Andre Dominguez's <laughs> trunk of his little <laughs> Subaru. <laughs> and now it's back on the market. And now mm. it's now it's back. He brought it out of the deep freeze out of his trunk. At much inflated prices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, I mean, I just I just carry a camera when I can and and take pictures essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. That's. A- and I it just it, I, there's probably no such thing as as uh, as instinctively taking photographs because you're no doubt going to be informed by what you've seen and what you've done in the past subconsciously. Um, but it's rare that I will actually take a camera and go to photograph something right you know it's it's just that i uh, you know i I have the camera with me and i will just oh that looks interesting i mean there's some rare occasions like there is one in that group there that's a picture of a of a red truck that i took with uh the 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 panoramic 120 series 2 camera and that Mm -hmm. actually was uh uh, I t- grab the cameras and go down to take pictures occasion because the art museum had, had staged a, a show inside the museum of, of really fancy, you know, cars from history. Uh, most of them production cars, but some, some custom stuff. Yeah. And in conjunction with that in the park out in front, every weekend they would have a show of, of crazy fancy custom cars or whatever. And so that went on for about six weeks, every weekend, just this park being filled with these amazing cars. I like uh, the, I like the shot of this truck that you have because you got so close to it. You know, it completely cuts the frame. And on one side, you have people with green trees and kind of more of a natural thing. And on the other side, you have people in just sidewalk and building, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of fascinated with that, too. And, 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 and that also is, is just part of, of trying to inform people sometimes what to expect when you're shooting with a curved film plane, you know, that it's. It's it's unusual. It's different from a flat film plane, and depending upon how you choose to make the image, you can either make that very apparent, or you can practically disguise it. The mm-hmm. two photographs below that, sort of varying degrees of that, um, you know, same sort of curved field, but 
the feel associated with it being that way changes depending upon how you frame it, how far away you are from the subject. Yeah, I mean, I have the I have one of James Gurin's six twelve curved film plane cameras, and you know you can. I, I must admit, I've not used it that much. I've probably put half a dozen rolls of film through it, but I, I tend to use it dead horizontal, you know, uh, so I don't get you don't get that noticeable so much yeah. anyway curved but, earth yeah but maybe curved earth. yeah but i think well why, why am i just doing that all the time um, let's let, let's tilt it and do some crazy things with it maybe i will yeah and if anything that to, to me that that's part of the fun of pinhole photography in particular is that it does free you to feel like you can just do whatever the hell you want to do yeah, yeah. it's interesting yeah. you said i must admit i tend to I suppose because pinhole cameras are small and relatively portable, mostly anyway, um, you know, you can have them with you a lot of time and, you know, you see something that looks kind of interesting and you make a, make a picture. That's the way I often work. And I think Corey, you're mm-hmm. much the same. And I, I'm, I'm much in, a, I, I much admire those who um, go out with a, you know, working on long-term pinhole projects and, you know, it's something I've tried to do now and again, but I suppose with my hotel ghosts, but, other than that, it's mainly snapshottery, really, if you like, yeah, you know? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Because it's it's just loads of fun, and it, it, it's it, it's a real distraction from normal, you know, my normal photography, perhaps the large format stuff where it's much more considered. And dry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and dry. And dry. Uh, Kurt, we can't, I can't let you go. I don't know if Corey's picked up on this, but you're building an Afghan camera, street camera. Now, I, I first became aware of these. There was a YouTube kick, video kicking around. There probably still is if you go on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, I mean, tell, tell us about this, because for folks who aren't familiar with what an Afghan box camera is, um, to sh- share your um, your experience, Kurt, with, with these cameras and, and sure. how, how you come to be making one. Yeah, well, 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 first of all, the notion that they're called Afghan box cameras is a relatively recent innovation. They've, they've been around for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they came about like so many other things did pretty quickly after the invention of photography. People figured out how to do all kinds of things with cameras, you know, in a, in a real hurry. It was a very yeah. creative time in history. Um, so they've been around for a long time. The fact that they're called Afghan cameras so often now had very much to do with that Kickstarter campaign. The most widely used term to describe them, because they're so often appear in Spanish-speaking countries, is a minutero. Um, but very often in um, in both England and the U.S. and perhaps some other European countries, they're referred to as one-minute cameras. Um, the the general notion is just that you've got essentially an early version of a Polaroid camera, where you're taking a picture and processing the image inside of the camera. Yeah. In this particular case, um, doing it in kind of an interesting way because you're essentially making usually a paper negative and Mm -hmm. then using the camera to re-photograph that negative to get your positive, um, which would then be the final product. Um, Most often these things are used um, by itinerant photographers to take photographs in, say, the local plaza, um, either just as a, a tourist activity or, say, for example, in the case of the Afghan and some other cameras, they'd very often be used to make a a necessary official uh, portrait that might be required for some kind of identification, you know, when people wouldn't be able to go into the portrait studios. You see the Afghan cameras in particular being used on, on the side of the street with a little black backdrop or something to make somebody's official portrait. Um, but it's basically a portrait camera for the most part. I, I see some people doing some other stuff with them, but 
that's mainly what it is. It's, it's, it, it appeals to me on a variety of levels. Um, but then I also was, was asked uh, a, a while back to come up with a design for one and in a, in a very now typical for me, long running process, I'm <laughs> finally getting around to, to sort of getting that done. Um, also typical of, of the way I approach things, I'm looking at particularly the, the, the camera style that you see referred to as an Afghan camera. And then going back and looking at, you know, well, what led to this? Um, there are an awful lot of cameras made that essentially followed that same pattern, the way it's built. And if you've sort of researched materials, you'll see they're, they're more or less all look the same, the way they're, they're built. Um, but if you look at the ones that were actually manufactured as opposed to built by itinerant photographers, they have a, a, a pretty different expression in terms of the way they're mechanically put together. Um, and so with that in mind, I actually went after trying to do some things with a sort of a fresh slate. Um, how would I do this if I didn't know these other ones existed? And um, so just recently, actually, I ended up that the, the, one of the key elements to it is essentially creating a photographic um, copy stand on the front of the camera so that you can copy that negative at one to one um, ratio and make your positive. And generally, they flip up from the bottom and have a, just a little vertical um, palette there that you can take the wet uh, negative mm -hmm. and, and very often just using the fact that it's wet you sort of plaster it on that surface where it'll stick and, and re-photograph it to make the, the positive. Oh, so that's what the, the two pictures of the red tank with the lids is part of that camera. Is that part of yeah, the camera? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you've got to have essentially a, a dark room inside mm -hmm. the camera. Right. Ah, uh, oh, that's wow. That's I've never even heard of that. And and usually there's there, actually I just discovered a new variation on this, which kind of surprised me. But there's there's some variation on a, a sleeve that allows you to get your hand or your arm, I should say, and or uh, arms into the camera. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. It's like ha nuclear radiation things, aren't they? Where you're putting your arms. <laughs> yeah, into yeah a, exactly. Yeah, yeah like something you see on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty much the same deal. Um, so, yeah, you've got to be able to get into the camera and obviously not let light into the camera. So there'll oh. be some kind of sleeve you stick your arm into to get inside. Have you yeah. not seen these, Corey, on social well, media? I was, these just, I was just about to say, Kurt, I've followed, um, I followed quite a few of the artists. I can't remember their names right off the top of my head that are down uh, in South America and, and Oaxaca and in that area. And I've seen some pictures of these with the sleeve coming out the side of it. And it was a box. And I had no idea what. They're, they're painted blue and all elaborate, you know. They look almost like an accordion box or something, you know, <laughs> like a street thing. Though. You turn the thing and the monkey dances, you know what I mean? Yep, they exactly. Kind of That's like very much yep. right. That's very much part of it. It's very much street theater. Wow. Um, <laughs> in many cases, um, was, the cameras will sure be really elaborately decorated. They'll have mm -hmm. examples of the photographs, you know, across the front of them or down below on the so street or something. That's what you that know? thing is. I was wondering because I've seen quite a few posts of those and I'm like, I don't know what this is. This is Afghan. I was like, is it like a couch blanket. I mean, what do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, and often the a part of that is that you're trying to set up a little studio, right? So you'll have a backdrop, a painted backdrop, right? Yeah. And two of my, I've seen two it. of my favorite photographs of 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 uh, these cameras in action uh, are, are curious examples of that. In in one case, um, I'm not sure where the photograph was taken, but at some war torn area, I was thinking maybe it might be. Um, uh, Serbia or, or, you know, someplace in relatively recent memory where entire towns were destroyed by bombing. Wow. Um, there's a fellow out there with his camera on a, on an old sort of dusty road. He's taking a picture of, I believe it's a woman with the backdrop behind her. 
and the backdrop is a, a painting of the village that you can see off to the right in the background, utterly oh, destroyed. Wow, that's, but, uh, that's before that's a, it was destroyed. The painting that's a powerful the statement, isn't it? Goodness yes. me. <laughs> and then the other one, which I find equally amusing, is in India. It's a Minotauro. In fact, I don't even know what they're called in India yet. I got to find out. Um, he's got his little portrait studio set up. So he's got his camera. He's got his little family sitting there in front of a painted cafe street scene from probably Paris. And immediately off to the right in the background is the Taj Mahal. Hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it, it's a bit of street theater. You know, very often there's, there's in fact, you may have noticed that my studio assistant is an African gray parrot. Yeah. <laughs> there is a, um, a, a, a longstanding uh, uh, Minotero who uh, works, I want to say he's in the Netherlands, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's been working at it for a long time. And I recently came across some photographs of his presentation of himself, very dapper, you know, dressed, uh, you know, as, as part of the sort of street theater. And his camera is very, very elaborately decorated. Very often people will have some kind of little distraction, you know, a little, a little, uh, a little bird model or, or something, you know, for people to look at, watch the birdie or whatever, you know, as part of the process. But in this case, he's got his camera sitting there, and there's a perch built off to the side of the camera and an African gray parrot sitting on it. And I'm hmm. thinking, bingo. You know, when I get ready to test mine, I'm ready to go. Hey, I got a parrot. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so uh, <clears throat> I don't know what else I can say about that. You, you can look around the world. They, they are everywhere. Yeah. Uh, in, they're called Lombe Lombe in Brazil. Um, they're called Minotero in a lot of Spanish-speaking countries. Obviously, the you know the Afghan thing is pretty common. There's another, another. Per- I haven't decided if there's more than one person referring to to them as this, but there's the, the Cuban uh, Polaroid. There's mm-hmm. a guy with a site by that name. Um, mm. I don't know if any, there's anything beyond him calling it that, but it all kind of gets at the same notion that you know these are or cameras designed to make um, yeah. somewhat instantaneous photographs. And are so, you making that for yourself, or did you, you making well, it effectively for somebody else? Well, the, yeah, there's there's a, a qualification to that. The 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 original um, inception of that was to come up with a design for it, and and there was no specification really as to how it would eventually be made. But I quickly realized that having no firsthand experience with that kind of camera, I was going to have to build one to figure out how to design one. Yeah. And so the one I'm building is is one that I'm building for myself. I've got parts for a much less elaborate one already underway so the the box for it would be made out of uh nicely done out of plywood so with a nice veneer on the outside and a black veneer on the inside this one is made from wood that came from the restoration of my house oh wow so it's kind of a nod to the the sort of Hmm. folk style that a lot of them are built with that's 1928 or earlier Mm -hmm. fur which is not a common wood to build cameras out of and most of the the uh, itinerant photographers' cameras are built in the same way. They're built with a, a fairly common wood, not a typical camera wood. So, in, in spite of my normal anal uh, proclivities with respect to building this stuff, <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm trying to build it with a wood that that very normal, you know, under normal circumstances would not be used to to build a camera with. Uh, sort of as a nod to that. Yeah, um, cool. and I may end up doing some some wood burning or something on the. I'm, I'm going to decorate it somehow. I'm not sure how. You should totally do it like the ones like the the guys down in uh down in Oaxaca do where it's like 
blue and kind of like the day like a can- yeah. like a candy school almost you know what yeah I mean? like exactly kind of like really yeah they are great and... there's some there's some if you really look into it and I start researching book, man. I really yeah do. there's a lot of really great stuff yeah. very again very theatrical you know the whole thing is, is designed to draw people in get them sure. interested nowadays what you find also is that there'll be groups that get together with their cameras um and essentially have kind of a block party there's a group in barcelona that's doing that wow. there's a variety of there's a place somewhere in france um there's there's a guy uh terrible with names he makes a pinhole camera a nice little leather covered pinhole camera he's been really into minoteros lately so he's it looks like he's got a little group somewhere in france that's uh that's gathering to do that um and you'll find that uh, in a lot of places i'm not sure that was common historically because these guys would have been competitive with each other right to to get the work uh, you, um, you stand on your corner. You got two blocks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This corner. <laughs> You're out of my sight. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it's more like let's get together and have a party. You know. Yeah. And, and make photographs. Yeah. Um. So you'll find that going on as well. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Kurt. Have you um been able to get your squirrel problem under control? <laughs> no. Thanks for your help with that. <laughs> you know that 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 thing that I posted um was funny um. I've tried a variety of different things, not not with any great uh, effort. You know, I, I I probably could 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 solve it, you know, pretty readily with some of the solutions that you and other people have posted. Um, but I'm just I just haven't put the effort forth in, into yeah. doing it. In that particular case, we'd moved the that that bird feeder from behind the house where I'm now working in the backyard on a patio out into into the front and it just got more frustrating watching those squirrels attack that thing (laughs) and so and our neighbors actually feed the squirrels so that that makes it even worse um so i i I did that trying to think well i wonder if this will work and and right off the bat you know having if you have experiences uh, people often do with bird feeders and squirrels you know how smart those squirrels are they're just amazing so so i had this thing up hanging off that beam off the front porch and i was thinking well this will be fun and so the squirrels are you know circling around underneath it, looking up at it, shaking their tails like they do when they're thinking about how they're going to attack it. And, uh, and so I just watched them for a while, and it was fascinating because they would circle around underneath and go, oh, I can't jump that high. Let's see, what can I do? Eventually, they realized they can climb the post, go across the beam to where the thing is attached. And so I watched one of them do that. Huh. And then, you know, sort of right on cue, the, it, it, for people that aren't aware of it, essentially it's just a, a – a, a rod that sticks out from the beam on that front porch that's got a plastic tube on it. So if you if you put your little squirrel paw on it, it's going to want to rotate and you won't be able to stand on it. And so I watched this squirrel. He's standing on the beam. He he puts his foot out on it and quickly draws it back. He realizes exactly what's going on. Okay, I can't <laughs> go across this. And then his tail starts shaking, you know, like he's thinking. And then, I mean, not five seconds later, he springs forth, jumps all the way out to the end of it, grabs the wire and starts feeding off the bird feeder. Nice. Yeah. Like, he immediately figured it out. Yeah. You just, you, in the Carolinas, don't you just shoot them and put them on the barbecue? <laughs> yeah. I have hats. That's, what, that's how my kids knew uh, school clothes are. It's, it's <laughs> my, my solution that I showed you, Kurt, was my complete frustration to the point of I don't care what it looks like. Them stopping the squirrels, <laughs> so that the very the very blunt and industrial kind of like solution of that piece of stovepipe is kind of like mir- mimicking my frustration with it. You know, what I mean, I was like, 
I bet they won't get past this, and they haven't. They that stopped them dead. You know that was that yeah. Was no, and that looks great. I think I'm gonna have to try that. <laughs> that looks like the perfect solution. And you could spray paint it, and you know, make it look like a pine tree if you wanted, or make it like a <laughs> a can't uh, one of those like a like the the Minotauros, you know, like paint it all elaborate, you know, do whatever you want to do to it. I left it silver just so. Uh, to see if it worked first. And now that I see that it works, I think I'm going to do something to design it. You know, I didn't want to decorate and everything and then walk in the house and look out the window and watch the squirrel run right up inside. Oh, of it. I, you know I, I, mean? I think it needs to be covered in squirrel taunts. Yeah, that's a sort. good idea. Yeah, yeah. Slinkies and stuff, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> paint, I should paint it to make it look like a big giant peanut, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool. Well, um, got anything else, Andrew? No, I was sorry. I was just fascinated by your squirrel conversation. Yeah, you're watching the Grand Prix, aren't you? <laughs> no, it's upstairs. I'm itching to get back to it. But yeah, yeah. all right. Well, have we um, had any communication or uh, coffee donations this week? Nope, not this week. Mm, mm. That's all right. Very good. Yeah. We've uh, got a very generous amount so far, and it's uh, you know just kind of hanging out and getting ready to be spent very soon. So if if folks want to. Um, contribute to the coffee fund what do they have to do uh you can just go to coffee.com forward slash uh the lensless podcast uh and mm-hmm. it'll it'll pull it up you can pull it up that way yep mm-hmm. there you go yeah so yeah kurt thanks so much for coming um oh absolutely it's great we uh <laughs> like to give our guests a second to let everybody know where they can be found on social media or you know anyone looking to take a look at your cameras and interested in them, where can they go and track you down? Well, the way this, this, this little page is set up, that's probably the, the place to start because it lists basically everything else that, that's available. So if you go to mottweilerstudio.com, you'll encounter my my newly revised single-page website, <laughs> soon to be um, gradually brought back to, to something like a regular website but at the moment it's just a single page that cool. lists the uh the facebook um mm-hmm. instagram behance tumblr and also there's a, a store site that's still up yeah. and then has these uh kind of a series sort of a summary of some cameras and photographs yeah. made with them so that's that's probably the place to start cool mm-hmm. so everybody go check that out and take a look at it and uh, see some absolutely beautiful wonderfully created uh Handmade cameras, they're, they're absolutely beautiful as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew. Well, thanks, guys. It's been yeah. great. Andrew, nobody wants to know where you're at, so you just go to your Grand okay. Prix and go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, it's, it's fun stuff. I used, to, I used to watch that stuff a lot. My dad was a, a, a sports car um, enthusiast, uh, taught and drove in what's called the SCCA, the, 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 the racing group here in the States. I spent a lot of time in the pits and going to races back in those days cool. when I was a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm the only one who's not into it. Are you going to watch it in your caravan, Andrew? <laughs> no, I thought about that, but this, the, uh, <laughs> it's parked on the drive, so I could oh, do, but the yeah. Wi-Fi signals start to get a yeah. bit poor there. So, okay. Uh, no. Well, we, uh, I, have, I have some more stuff that I wanted to talk to you about, Kurt, so maybe we can – uh, do a second part and have you come back and we can talk a little bit more about what's going on down in down in Mexico with uh, the pinhole scene down there because it's oh, kind it's of getting amazing. out of control. It, yeah. yeah, it is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, Just really, yeah. Everybody maybe look forward to a part two of some more. Yeah, that'd be great. Some more rambling on. So There's a well, week coming, a week coming up when I'm 
not around. Yeah. So I, I, we can chat about that anyway and maybe get um, Kurt back on. Mm-hmm. Sure can, if, he, if Kurt would like to come back. so. Sure. All right. Well, everybody, uh, yeah, thanks again, Kurt, for coming. And we hope everyone has a great week. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, Bye-bye. everybody. Bye. Bye. If maybe I can get her to sign on to that one, Sweet. that would be fun. It would, yeah, it'd be great fun. We yeah. going? Andrew's going. Andrew's yeah, but going. it's it's Just only so a short it's a short hop across the water for me, isn't it? It's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. America. Just so right. you know, Kurt. Uh, feel free to give Andrew as much grief as you want. About him. <laughs> <laughs> you set him up, he'll no, no, knock him down. You know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool. Well, we can. Um,